Amen. Uh, you know, in the popular novel, uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, uh, you know the character Scrooge. And he comes to this awful realization of the status of his heart when he meets the ghost of Christmas future uh, or the Christmas to come. And he sees this spirit, this ghost, uh, and it shows him the, his, his life and what it's measured up to be. Uh, and when he sees all the things he'd measured up to be, he finds out that there's this guy who's made nothing of his life, that nobody's coming to his funeral, and he sees what happened to those he uh, didn't put any emphasis on in his life, he didn't give any charity to in his life, and that because he had tre- uh, treated people as cheap and he had treated life as cheap, uh, his future uh, was bleak. His future was cheap in itself. And seeing this future brings Scrooge to repentance, uh, and it transforms him for the rest of his life because he got a realization of his future and what his life had meant in the past, but mostly his future. So I just really want to ask us a question today, as that is, what does your future hold for you? Uh, what does your future look like? Is it a good thing? Is it bleak? Uh, and do we have perspective of our future? I think about Scrooge and, uh, you know, like for Scrooge, the status of his heart determined his future. And because we know Scripture today, if the status of our heart is not in Jesus Christ, those who have not surrendered their life to him, those who have not uh, given up everything for him, those who do not love him more than anything else in this world, uh, and follow him with our whole heart. It doesn't matter what you acquire on this earth. It doesn't matter what you achieve. Uh, the Bible says that your future will have nothing, and you'll be nothing for all eternity. But on the other hand, I think about that story, and I actually personally like watching the Muppets version. I don't know about you, the Muppets Christmas Carols. I grew up in the 80s, and that was the thing, the Muppets. Uh, and uh, you think about Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim Those who are poor and humble of heart, the Bible says the lowly, the poor in spirit, theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven. And for those who endure a little bit of suffering in this world and those that endure a little bit of, uh, have to have a little bit of patience to go through the hard times of this world, the Bible tells us if we put our hope in Jesus Christ, even while we endure hardship, our future uh, is eternal. It is blessing, it is peace, it is love, it's joy evermore because we've trusted and hope in Jesus. In Isaiah 51, verse 11, it says this, The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They'll obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and singing, uh, sighing will flee away. You know, everything we go through this world, we may not understand why. We don't always have the answers to all the questions of, God, why did this happen to me? God, how come... My mom and dad didn't love me this way. God, how come I got stabbed in the back then? God, how come these people are talking about me? God, how come I've never had enough? It doesn't matter how much I try harder and harder and harder. God, it never seems like I can get to make ends meet, and I can't ever get a leg up. It seems like every time I try something, it just hurts me the other way. Even if we don't understand everything in this sin-ravaged world, do we have perspective on what really matters? Do I see through uh, all the stuff that comes against me in this world, all the, the blah that can come into my mind and my heart in this world and say, God, I can sing today because I have a future in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. 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 
Does your future have a joyous hope that overcomes everything in this world? And what a future this baby, I'm not going to pick him up, but what a future this baby brings to us today. The Bible says that when he stepped into the world, light cast out the darkness and the darkness couldn't comprehend it. That something amazing happened when Jesus Christ came into the world. In fact, that through his life we would see the, the lame would walk and the blind would see uh, the deaf would hear, the hungry would begin to feast, he said, and that the prisoners, the captive, would go free. Now, I was thinking about that this week, and what does that mean for those of us who are a little bit thick in the head, you know, a little carnally minded? And I begin to think about, God, this is a spiritual thing, because I don't always, I'm not, always, I'm not I haven't been blind, I'm not deaf, but yet Jesus can uh, truly affect me now and forevermore. And spiritually speaking, this is what this means for us today. That what future this baby in a manger has brought to us, it means this, that if there is no song in your heart today, you can have joy in Jesus. Amen? If you've lost the will to keep walking like the lame in this world, there's a reason in this season. If you've been deaf to the love of God, the Bible says he makes it plain through his plan in Jesus Christ. And if you can't see a way through the darkness in your life today, the Bible says he lights up our night. And if you found nothing in this life that satisfies Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because Jesus fills our hearts better than cheap thrills in this world. And if you have been bound and captive by addiction today, Jesus is a high that never runs dry. Amen? Do you have hope in your future? So turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. Because of Jesus, you can have a better tomorrow today. Because of Jesus, you can have a better tomorrow today. Let me set this scene for us this morning. I'm going to tell you uh, in three scenes, in three stages, uh, this parallel of what I'm, I'm pulling out today for us in Scripture. And one is that we're going to talk about the exiles in Israel in the ancient world. And then we're going to talk about the first century Jews, those, that first audience like Mary and Joseph who uh, met the baby Jesus. Uh, and then we're going to talk about us today. And so if we go back, because this letter uh, to the captives is what this is. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God uh, reaches down to touch the hearts of a broken and cast out people. Israel has found themselves outside of the, the plan of God for their lives. They're living in a sin toward world inside of their hearts. There's problems in their own hearts. They've tried to live their life by their own plan, much like we do some, so many times. And m- most of us, especially before we were saved, living by our own will, deciding what we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted it, and thinking we could find the best things in life for us on our own. And Israel finds themselves cast out of their own country. And in the middle of this, the question is this, when is this season going to end in my life? When is life going to get any better? When are things going to turn uh, around for me? And so these prophets begin to speak, and they're like, oh, man, it's going to be a good day for you. Your best moment is now. This is going to be a mountain moment for you. Uh, this is a right now moment. You should just claim it in God. And they begin to prophesy all these things, much like what you can hear on television, uh, television today, TV preachers today. Man, if you would just, you don't know how good you are. You don't know what God's got going for you. Man, that guy doesn't know what he missed when he messed up with you. Uh, all that stuff. And they're giving all these words, these good, positive, good-feeling words. And God begins to write a letter through the prophet Jeremiah to the people. And here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter 29. He says, it's going to be 70 more years, not tomorrow, not the next day, not the day after. All those good words you've been hearing from those prophets, let's just put them aside. It's going to be 70 years you're going to have to learn how to endure. 
And as you begin to pray, I'm going to begin to search your heart. And as you begin to say, God, bless me in this season as I'm in right now, you're going to begin to see me work. And he says, I want you to pray for the season you're in right now. And he says, but guess what? While it's going to be 70 years in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, he says, even though you're going to have to endure 70 years, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And he goes on to say, if you would just call out to me in that time and pray to me and seek after me, you'll find me and I will be found by you. You know, the same is true for each of us. Man, I so long to be in heaven right now, but that might not be God's plan for my life. We may want to get out of situations and circumstances in your life right now. Man, I wish my finances were better. Man, I wish my marriage was better. Man, I wish this was different or that was different. I wish my economy was better in my pocketbook. I wish my relationships were different. I wish my family wasn't so crazy. Amen? No, not really. Uh, I didn't get very many amen, so you guys are going to do great this Christmas, right? Uh, you know, I wish things were better. But there's some things in life we have to learn to endure and pray through. Amen. There is not always a quick microwavable fix for things in this world. We live in a sin-filled, corrupt world. This world is full of violence and murder and rape and war and famine and plague. And Jesus actually promised us that we're going to endure some very hard times as believers. Amen. And so he begins to tell him, he says, but guess what? The good news is this. I'm still God. I still have a plan for you. And he goes on to say in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17, sometimes he says to Israel, he says, you felt like an outcast. You've been like a Jerusalem that no one cares about. And you're going to go through times in this world today where you wonder, does God even care? Does God even remember me? God, I don't hear, I don't, I'm not getting through in prayer anymore. God, my Bible reading doesn't just come out and come alive. Lord, people are singing on stage and I'm not getting anything and I'm not hearing your voice and I'm not being used by your spirit. And God, I'm not sure why I'm in this spiritual funk that I'm in. I just, Lord, it's not making any sense to me. And so he says, but guess what? At the right time, I'm going to do something in your life. I know I have good, just have faith. I've got good plans for you for a future and a hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, a future and a hope. A future and a hope. We're looking at these two words. Last week we talked about hope, and this week we're talking about future. Because the Lord tells them in Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 22, He says, there's coming a day when you are going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, all that time would pass. Israel would go into exile. They would spend 70 years in captivity to come back. And all the while, this prophecy had still never been fulfilled. When they come back from exile, it'd be 400 years. 400 years, and they would say, God, I still don't hear your voice. The prophets aren't speaking anymore. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, then at the right time, at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, the Bible says that Jesus was born King of kings and lords of lords, and he comes down and he's born of Mary, of a virgin, uh, and that today the reason is this, that all people might call upon the Lord and be saved. And so the plan no longer was, uh, the plan is no longer that you'll be an outcast or a rebel or separated from him, but at the right time, God says, I'm going to do something on your behalf. So here, let's just pull it all together. Today, we have to have knowledge that we have a future if we're in Jesus Christ. 
And we're going to feel like we're an outcast in this world. And we're going to go through periods of time where we feel like we're exiled from the rest of the things that are going on in the world today. We're going to go through hardships and suffering and death and loss. But there's a word that God begins to write as if God today was writing you a Christmas letter. And he says, but I know what you're going to go through in this world. And I'm giving you a reason to hope. And I'm telling you that there's one coming, he says to Israel, there's one coming who's going to bring you back and be Lord over you, king over you. He's going to shepherd you, and he's going to bring you into an identity that you'll never, ever be left from me again. Fast forward. We're in the first century, and there's this remnant of Jews, faithful people, a remnant of faithful people who have been seeking God in some of the driest seasons of their life, and all of a sudden, God begins to move again. Look with me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's years later, but there are some people who have a heart to believe and trust in the plan of God. You know what? There are going to be things coming in your life where it doesn't make sense why you should have faith. It doesn't make sense why you should have joy. It doesn't make sense why you should pray because God's never answered you before. Or you've prayed and prayed and prayed for that prayer and God's never come through yet. But there are a certain group of people in this passage that have been praying and seeking God despite 400 years of no movement, no activity. God hasn't been moving. Where's his plan? Where's this Messiah? Where's this guy who's going to bring us to the place that God called us to? And this remnant of Jews had hope, and God began to move. Do you know that moment in your life uh, when God begins to answer you? I can remember uh, in my life when uh, I, had, I grew up in church my whole life and uh, tried to be a good kid, but I recognized real quick, man, I'm, I'm not really good on the inside, and uh, my life is a mess, and my mind's a mess, my heart's a mess. And as God began to call and, and beckon me, uh, one night I responded to an altar call where God just really got a hold of me. And I didn't even want to go down the front. I don't even know actually how I got there. But as God touched my life that night at an altar call on a Tuesday night revival service uh, in, in uh, Farmington, Missouri, it was this excitement and this joy that came over my life that I could not explain. It was a passion and a zeal that didn't come from me, but it was a supernatural thing that God had begun to do in my life. And it didn't make sense because I hadn't seen anything, hadn't done anything. Uh, I didn't really know what was going on. But do you know that moment when God begins to answer you? There's a moment when you realize, man, I'm about to be restored. You know what I'm talking about this morning? There's a moment where you feel like, uh, God, I, th- I think you're moving on my behalf. Lord, I think there's something about to change in the future. And these people begin to get a little bit excited because I think something's happening. Maybe it's been a while you haven't experienced that for maybe a long time. There's something about when God begins to move in your life. There's a se- I don't know if you can recall this. Those of you who have been uh, believers for a long time, you can look back in your life and say, there was a moment where I was really excited about the things of God. I mean, there was just nothing I thought about, nothing I talked about, nothing I, I prayed about. There's nothing I uh, wanted to do than just sing unto God and worship God and talk about Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to be there every day, right? And this moment begins to happen. They say, okay, something's happening. The spirit begins to stir. And so there's no better joy than when you realize you're encountering the good plan of God. Amen? Mm. No better joy than when you're about to encounter something from the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, there we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now look, get this. There's a letter. So we have the letter to the exiles way back when. 
And God says, hey, this, you're going to have to go through the muck of this world. But guess what? I got a future and a hope for you. You need to hold on to that. Fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years later. We find this close remnant of Jews holding on to a future and a hope in God. They've not let go despite the hypocrisy of man, despite the corruption of Rome, despite all the things that were up against them, their poverty, their low estate. Uh, there's just no reason for good things to happen in their life. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, In the sixth month, the Abriel Gabriel was sent to, uh, from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, and to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the sentence of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, What kind of salutation was this? So the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus, and he shall be great and called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, Mary's a faithful young lady, but you've got to get the story. She's engaged. Now, when you get engaged in the Jewish culture, it's kind of like being married. The engagement had to be broken by a kind of a divorce, uh, and often it was engagement for a year. And so she's just been told, hey, you're going to have a baby out of wedlock. You're going to have a baby, not by your future husband, Joseph. We know, I don't know about you, that probably wasn't in her plans. God, I want a, a three-bedroom house. You know, I want a red car. Uh, I want, you know, my windows to have this. I want my shutters to look like this. God, I have this plan for my life. I need these pots and pans from Better Home and Garden. I've got all this stuff. I'm getting my checklist. But for you in this day, a lot unlike today, uh, you were outcasts. If you found out you were pregnant outside of marriage, you would be cast out, probably divorced. The threat of, of stoning would be uh, there. Probably they never did use that in the first century. But you would be shamed in front of your public, uh, uh, going back home with mom and dad. And you would forever be labeled as an adulteress. No man would ever want you again. And surely, if this happened, she's probably thinking, Joseph is not going to like this. How, who am I going to prove? What are you going to say? Oh, yeah, I got pregnant. Not by anybody. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't your brother. It wasn't somebody on the street. It was Jesus. It was, up, it was God up in heaven. He, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to believe this story, especially not your fiancé, right? Uh, and so she, there's all these things that could be running through her head. She's got different plans. I'm young. I'm engaged. Maybe I didn't want kids right now. I surely didn't want kids in this way. It would be a scandal. What would everybody think? What's Joseph going to think? But because she had a heart after God... Because she had a heart that was seeking God, look what she says in Luke one thirty eight. She said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. There are things that come along in our life, and we can be we could be going through this season of hopelessness, you could be going through a season of, of spiritual drought, you can be going through a season of pain, of loneliness, of loss in your life. But if you don't keep seeking after God in the hardest moments, how will you know when he begins to speak? In the driest seasons of your life, if you're not in your prayer closet, how are you going to know when God begins to change your circumstances? As we get focused on this world, we can get focused on our pain, we can get focused on our loss, we can get focused on our desires, our ambitions, our dreams, our plans, and we can begin to write our own future for our life. And on the other hand, we can say, I don't care about my future. I'm only stuck in this moment now. This is all I can think about. This is all I can pray about. This is all I can worry about. But here's Mary. 
She's about to launch off into her whole future. Her whole life's ahead of her. And God steps down and interrupts everything she had planned. And what does she say instantly? She says, just like what Jesus prayed in the garden almost, God's not my will, but your will. God, I want what you have for me. God, you're free to wreck my life at any moment. How many people can say that today? That at any moment of my life, Lord, you are free to change my job. Lord, you're free to move me across the country. God, you're free to empty my bank account. Lord, you're welcome to mess up my life. How many Christians can pray that today in America? That we'd say, God, no matter even if I'm going through a season of loss, of longing, of disbelief, of doubt, Lord, even if the country's in shambles, Lord, even if the world's a wreck, Lord, even if my kids and my family are crazy, God, it doesn't matter. God, step in any moment. I'm ready. So Mary says that, and, she, and, the, and immediately, as soon as she said, God, I want your plans. God, I want your future. God, I believe the good report you're giving me. Immediately, she was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the Bible, the Holy Spirit says the Holy Spirit descended upon her. The Shekinah glory of God came on her. And immediately, she was impregnated with Jesus. And then she runs to Elizabeth's house, her, uh, her relative, and she runs there. And she begins to walk in the door. And immediately, Elizabeth uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. She begins to sing prophetically uh, over Mary, not even knowing what had gone on. And Luke chapter 1, verse 46, that Mary then in turn responds prophetically, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And she says, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. He's regard for my humble estate of this bond slave, my, my slavery. For behold, from this time, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You know what I know? Think about that. Is that if Christ is born in you. You can have a better today because of your better tomorrow. If Christ is born in you, you can have a better today because of your better tomorrow. What do I mean by that? You've got to think about it. Mary did not have a stick to tie two lines on. She didn't know. Uh, she didn't see an ultrasound. She never heard the baby cry. She didn't have a for sure that she was pregnant. She just felt the Holy Spirit moving on her life. And she believed what God had already told her. And so she goes, and let me say this, Mary didn't understand all the scripture. She didn't understand how she could, who, is there a, uh, Dobson, is he writing out there a book on how to raise a Messiah child? There's no, there's no help books for this. There's no like, how are you going to raise the Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? No pressure, okay? No pressure, but if you get this wrong, the whole world's going to die and go to hell. There's, there's no there's no books for this, right? I mean, there's no way to figure out, God, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Who's going to believe me? What about Joseph? God, how am I going to raise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, by the way? I mean, like, uh, and they, she didn't understand that he would have to die. She didn't understand he'd have to be resurrected. She didn't know anything. She only believed the prompting of the Holy Spirit through the April, uh, angel Gabriel. God, wreck my life at any moment. I don't have to understand the why or the how. I don't understand how to have to have all the scriptures memorized. God, I don't have to get anything. I don't have to know the future and every detail, X, Y, and Z. But Lord, at any moment, God, come on in. Because I believe if I trust you, Lord, that because I believe you've given me a better future, I'm going to have a better today. Amen? That's good. You can have a better today because of your better tomorrow she believed god had a better future for her and a good plan do you believe god's plans are better than yours amen do you believe god has better things for you than you could ever achieve on your own 
Do you trust God to say, God, wreck my life at any moment? Because, Lord, even if I fail to understand it all, even if I can only see the impossibility around me, God, I don't want my faith to be robbed. I don't want my joy to be robbed. And like Mary, she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she began to sing and praise the Lord in the now. Why? Because she believed she would be singing in the then. She began to sing in the now because she knew she would be singing in the then. I think that's the problem sometimes in this world. This is the most depressing uh, time probably in church American, American church history. Miss Evelyn and I have been talking about this. The joy it seems to be almost out of the church of Jesus Christ uh, in America. You find pockets of it here and there, but there's just this depressing spirit as the days are getting darker and the time of God is getting nearer. But Mary begins to sing prophetically about what God was going to do in her life, having never seen any evidence of it yet. She could begin to sing now because of the then. Amen? And to get this, it's the same. Look back with me in Jeremiah 31, because it's the same story repeated again in Jeremiah to the exiles. God begins to tell these exiles way back when. Jeremiah 31, verse 4, he says, I will rebuild you. You will be happy and dense again. Verse 6, the day will come. But as he begins to say the wills, hey, this is all going to happen. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you great. You're going to come back to me. I'm going to be your God. There's going to be a great day coming when the king comes. But then in verse 7, here's what he tells them. I know you're still in exile. It's 70 more years. But verse 7, this is what the Lord is saying. He says, now sing with joy for Israel. Shout for the greatest of nations. Shout out with praise and joy. And he goes on, he says, save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. Why? Because in verse 8, God says in some, I'm going to bring you back. I'll not forget even the least of you. A great company will return. Verse 9, tears of joy will stream down their faces. I will lead them home with great care. They'll walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. What's he saying? God's, this is prophetically for you and I, the church today. God's letter for you and I today. If God was writing a Christmas letter for you and I today, he's saying this. The day is coming, church, when you will sing forever. So guess what? Sing now. Right? The day is coming when you're going to sing forever. So go ahead and start singing right now. I know you're in exile. I know things aren't great. I know you don't understand it all. But if you allow, like Mary, the Holy Spirit to be birthed in you by faith, not just trying to figure it all out, still my life is a mess, God, but because I believe about the then, I can start singing in the now. Amen? This is what the church should be about. Why do we sing? There was an old song that says this, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven's home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he, his eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me and I love the bridge because it says this. Why do I sing? I sing because I'm happy and I sing because I'm free. That the previous part of the courage, uh, the verse, uh, the intro is I'm feeling discouraged. There's shadows coming. My heart is lonely. I long for heaven. But why are you singing? I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Not necessarily now. I'm singing because I know I have a future in Jesus Christ. I believe in the good news of the gospel. And so there is a future for the faithful. Now get this. For those of us, again, like myself, who are a little thick. 
How many people like vacation? Four of you. I'm in. That's good. Good work in church. You know, when you're about to go on vacation, uh, the week before, let's talk about the week before vacation. Let's just say you just want an all-inclusive resort or all-inclusive cruise, right? And the week before is coming. You know, you're, you're a week before, just let's say it's Thursday or Wednesday and Monday, you're going to go on this big cruise, free, all-inclusive. Now, are you going to really care what your employees do that week? Man, that person who's irking you, that person who's just ticking you off, that, that problem that arises, what are you going to be thinking? Well, they can deal with this next week because I'm on vacation, right? I'm going to just put this off. I don't care about all that drama. They can talk all they want. But guess what? On Monday morning, I'm going to be on the beach, right? That's what you're thinking. And get, get this. When Friday comes... Man, you are so excited. I got my bags packed. Man, it's going to be a good day on Monday. Your Friday is better. Why? Because of your Monday, right? Now, how come we can't be like that as the church? We are on Friday, 429, 430, whatever time you get off. We are right there at the last moment before vacation happens for us, the church. Amen? And how come we're not the most happiest, joy-filled people, and we're saying, I don't care what they're not clocking in, they're clocking out, the problems of the the backlog, all this problems happening at work, all the drama, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. My earphones are in. I'm thinking, Lord, thank you. I got a vacation coming on Monday. This problem is going to pass away, and there's going to be no phone, no texting, no nothing on that beach, right? Today, church, Jesus came once, but guess what? He's coming again. There's a Monday morning celebration coming where we know the future that we have for us. So guess what? I don't care about this world's problems and all their gossip and their backbiting and their slander and all the things that man is trying to fix on a broken world that needs a king of kings and a lord of lords. And while I can uh, go through this exile period, I can go through this wilderness period, but I got a little taste of the future today because I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. I know my vacation is coming. And I want to take as many people on it, by the way, as I can get. But I, I think there's so many things we go through in this world, and we forget about our eternity that's promised in Jesus Christ. And the present seems so much bigger than the eternity that comes behind it. It's like, man, this problem in my life has just exploded. It's huge. It's enormous. Well, how big is eternity? How big is your future in Jesus Christ? Isn't it bigger than all the things you're going through right now? Isn't his promise, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ? And so we need a taste of the future today. The Spirit has been poured on, out on us so that we can see through the darkest things of this world because God has filled our heart with good things. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 11. Here's kind of how he ends this, this letter. He says, For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for her. They'll come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They'll be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts the abundance of crops and grain, new wine and olive oil and healthy flocks and herds and their life will be like a well-watered garden and their sorrows will be gone. Paul said it this way in Corinthians. He said, if we have just hoped for Jesus only in this life, we're to be pitied among all men, beyond all men. If, we, if this is all we're living for right now, we should, why don't we just go live it up if there's no eternity? But it was that, that glorious hope for Paul because what did he say? He said, there's, there is a future for me for, uh, he says it in 2 Timothy 4.18. He says, In the future there is for me laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, 
but also to those who have loved his appearing. And that's really recognizing Jeremiah where he says, Jeremiah, when the time is right, those who are seeking after me, those who are praying for me, praying towards me, those who are searching me out with their whole hearts, God, I'm going to be found by them. In the future, for a believer in Jesus Christ, there is good news. The king has come once, he's coming again, and this isn't a typical Christmas message, but there's a future for the faithful. Jeremiah predicted in his letter that there would be a king, a righteous king, come out during this time of revival when God would begin to answer their prayers. And Mary saw that, and she believed, and she birthed faith in her heart, and God wrecked her life, and God blessed her with a glorious future. You can despair in this world today. You may wonder if anybody cares. But Jeremiah 31, verse 17, there is hope for your future, says the Lord. Jeremiah's book goes on to say God would make a new covenant, not like the old covenant, and he would write the law of God on your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians that he would seal you with the Holy Spirit. It would be an eternal guarantee, a promise, a pledge of your inheritance, he would say in Ephesians 1. That the Holy Spirit, like Mary, when we can recognize in this world that, God, I know you have good plans for us, a future and a hope for us. And so when I believe in the word of God, I say, God, you can wreck my life, change my plans, God. And what he does is he begins to birth the Holy Spirit in you. When you come to Jesus, you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes in you. And then as you grow in him and say, God, I want more and more and more, man, he'll baptize you and fill you over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit. And we see Mary begin to do that. And because she was filled with the Holy Spirit, she began to sing now because she knew she would sing then. I pray for us today that that would be our heart's cry this Christmas. God's writing a letter to many of you today. And he wants you to start singing again. Do you have hope in your future today? Has something been born in you? Are you filled with his spirit? Can you taste his glorious future? And are you singing today because you know you'll sing tomorrow? Where's your joy at? I love the words that this Christmas carol. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. What is the next part? Let every heart prepare him room. Have you allowed room for the good things of God to already be birthed in your heart now so that you can sing for joy? Uh, God, help us, Lord, to not be so preoccupied with this world and all that it's glamour and all of its things it could attract us with and all the problems you're going to go through. You're going to go through problems. Life is not going to be easy. But don't stop singing for joy. Because the Holy Spirit's alive in you. You've got an eternal guarantee. You've got a future and a hope. Amen?